Yeah, it it honestly was really a journey. And I know with so many, I don't want to say addictions, but habits or or issues that run so deeply within us, it is absolutely a process. And I think I fought that for so long to be like, I want to be finished. I want to be done. Like, where's my end point? I think what helped me along my journey was... Welcome to Scratch Your Own Itch Podcast, the show about the things we think about, but don't ever talk about. My name's Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. These conversations are about creating a life worth living, with a focus on sharing stories about battles in our heads. Topics range from depression, addiction, self-doubt, past traumas, and everyday compulsive thinking. And my hope is that this show will just shed some light on anyone in the dark that feels like they're alone in their daily struggles. Please take note that this show is not meant to be a replacement for a professional diagnosis or professional therapy. I am not a counselor or therapist. Hey you, hey, hey, it's me, the Y guy, your friendly neighborhood, You probably thought I was going to say Spider-Man, but I'm not a superhero. No, I tricked you. (laughs) Anyways, all kidding aside, I have a real superhero on with me today. Her name is Jen Han. She has a diverse and unique background. She pursued her undergraduate degree from Pennsylvania State University in advertising and public relations. Following graduation, she knew she didn't want to work at an agency, so she needed space and time to figure out what she really wanted to do with her life. Since then, she has gained experience as a speaker, writer, author, world traveler, adventure connoisseur, holistic health advocate, creator of the Normal Eaters Club, and since then, she is a full-service boutique that offers coaching and an online program that enables women to transform their relationship with food, fall in love with their bodies, and, and well, (laughs) become one of those normal eaters. So honestly, the woman is seemingly 10 out of 10 on paper, right? Well, here's where it gets rough around the edges. Jen has been through arm wrestling matches time and time again when it comes to having a bad relationship with food. She's had days where she has been eating way too much or or too little. And if you relate with any of this sort of thinking, because, I mean, we think about food a lot, about not eating, debating what you're going to eat, struggling with what you can and can't eat, and deciding on how you would, then exercise to work off the food you did just eat, then this episode was made for you. My hopes is for this conversation between Jen and I, to revolve around loving your body again and also making food a friend instead of an enemy because we eat every day of our lives or don't eat every day of our lives. And this is why it's such a conundrum. I get it. Therefore, you are not alone. But without further ado, I want you guys to have a warm, warm welcome to my guest today, Jen Hand. Thank you so much for coming on Scratch Your Own Itch. Hi, Logan. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and and share more about this struggle that so many people battle with. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, I can't pretend that I don't. And uh, I, after looking at what you've gone through and, and sort of looking at everything that you've done, I really want to start and do some reverse engineering and possibility hacking, if you don't mind, and get into um, right away that sort of trauma that you may have had when you were growing up or middle school or high school. When was it where you had that point in your life where you're struggling with eating? And, and what is the story behind that? So for me, you know, I, I would say it began in early high school. So I think I became aware of food in my body after going through puberty and gaining weight and just being really aware that you know, how, how much food impacted my weight gain or loss and how being thin was this seemingly great thing and how I had just been surrounded by media and social media actually wasn't big then in high school. So it was really more just magazines and print and expectations of society or seeing people on TV in the, in the movies. And it was, you know, for me, it began in, um, I would say probably 10th grade, I decided to lose weight for an upcoming school dance. And to do that, I ordered diet pills online. And I felt like it was really harmless. You know, I thought, well, I'll just kind of take some diet pills, lose 10, 15 pounds for this dance, and then continue on my merry way. And really, that was the catalyst for like the diet and binge cycle, because I, when I got those diet pills, I became super restrictive. And I remember eating, you know, in the high school cafeteria, everyone's having soft pretzels and pizza and nachos. And here I am, I had my peppers and ranch and that was my lunch. Like, you know, I just remember packing green peppers and my ranch dip and that's what I would eat, you know, along with my diet pills. And it became this sort of addiction for me that I had lost all this weight. People commented on how great I looked, how wonderful I looked. And I internalized this message of, oh, thinner is better. Smaller is more acceptable. So I became caught up in this cycle because obviously it's not sustainable to eat peppers and ranch dip for you know, maybe even for like a week, but I did it for a few months. And then once the dance was over, I sort of was left with this like, okay, well now what? I'm not binging and, or I'm not dieting. I'm not restricting. I'm not trying to lose weight for something. And so I swung wildly the other way into binging and spiraling out of control and not being able to control myself and gaining all the weight back plus some. And that sort of just began the cycle of trying to diet, trying to lose weight, whether that was through exercise or through diet pills or through restriction, and then swinging to the other extreme of like the compulsive overeating and not being able to stop and being really sneaky and secretive and waiting till my family went to bed so I could hit up the pantry and the ice cream in the freezer and have these like, you know, thousands of calories of binging. And What's interesting is that looking back on that, I know that isn't quote unquote normal. I mean, I can see it so clearly, but when I was in it, I didn't know that it, I, I thought normal was dieting or overeating. I didn't know there was this middle ground of like just listening to your body and eating your meals when you're hungry and full, because as early as I could remember, I was either dieting or binging. And so 
you know, I don't remember a whole lot about like early years, middle school or elementary school. I'm, I'm assuming I was a normal eater, but you know, my earliest memories were from high school and how I became so aware of my relationship with food or lack of relationship with food. So that's kind of when it got to be a really big deal. Although I didn't know it was a big deal. I thought my problem was just that I had to lose weight and keep it off. And it wasn't until later that I saw, oh, it's not, it's not my trying to maintain this image of being thin and losing weight. That was a problem. It was this like addiction to food and dieting and the need to be smaller as opposed to my body being the problem. It was my mindset around all of this and my relationship around all of this that really was the problem in its of itself that I needed to address instead of trying to control my body or make it smaller and then have that fix the problem. So was there anybody in your life at the time that was saying, hey, Jen, like you don't ever eat with us anymore or you when you do eat with us like you just overeat or what sort of warning signs did you have or any stories around that so what's funny about that is I thought I hit it so well like I thought no one knew <laughs> um and I remember in high school having being referred by someone to the guidance counselor and getting called down. And this is when I had lost probably 20 or 25 pounds. And, and, and it was very quick. So it was like, you know, in two months, I lost this weight taking diet pills and getting called into the guidance counselor. So I'm assuming someone had referred me um, and them just approaching me and saying, hey, we're concerned. Just wanted to check in with you. Are you okay? You know, are you, we heard you lost some weight. And I don't remember exactly how they phrased it, but I remember being like, oh no, I don't have a problem. Like, I'm completely fine. I'm totally fine. And I don't think you can, you know, I, I wasn't even aware that I had a problem, so I couldn't admit to having a problem. So it really, I, I had no awareness of being trapped in this cycle because I was so in the cycle that that was my world. So that was a time when the guidance counselor had reached out to me and the funny thing is that no one really ever approached me though. And I, I thought like personally friends or family, I thought I hit it really well. And I think it was, I would hide my weight gain in bigger clothes or wearing sweatshirts and sweatpants in the winter. But when I would come home from college or when I would um, like go away and then come back to where I grew up, I had always lost the weight because it, because it was like an event, like, oh, I'm going home, I have to lose weight, or I have to, I'm seeing all these people that I grew up with, I have to diet or, or restrict or be really rigid with my food. And so it was sort of this problem that I imagine people thought about, like, oh, Jen, she might, maybe she struggles with her weight, because I had swung so wildly between the extremes. But no one ever actually confronted me about it. And it wasn't until college when I remember being on a family vacation and the stress of like like thinking about food all the time with my family because my family was just eating breakfast, having lunch and having dinner and enjoying the vacation. And then there I was just having severe food anxiety and thinking about food like 24-7 the entire trip of how can I work this off? How can I not eat? How can I pretend I'm eating so they won't notice I'm not eating? 
And I remember just like collapsing into my mom on the bed and just being like, I have this problem. And I, it was like a, a light bulb moment for me of, I don't think this is normal. And I don't like I, the, the stress and the anxiety, I just couldn't bear it anymore myself. And I actually didn't even get help then. It wasn't until later that year where I began to, to really battle depression and anxiety and panic attacks in college that I started getting help for that, which kind of led into getting help with uh, my disordered eating. And it's, it's funny because I still, even though I, I, had a sort of breakdown to my mom, like telling someone felt so good and so cathartic and like, you know, just getting a weight off my shoulders. But then my mom had, didn't really, she, it wasn't that she wasn't concerned, but I don't think she realized the seriousness of it because, you know, it wasn't like I was losing and gaining a hundred pounds. Um, at that point, it had been maybe 25 pounds and you can hide that a little bit better than if you're going up like four sizes in clothes. So I don't think she really knew the severity of it until I, I was battling depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And really, I think that was like, you know, the universe's sign of, of for me, just like, hey, you have got to get help. Like you can't keep stuffing all of this inside over and over and over and over and never deal with it. You have to, you have to let it out. You have to start dealing with this stuff. And it was like that, you know, that, that wake up call for me of walking to class on campus and having like to stop and sit in the bench because I thought I was having a heart attack and, and it was an anxiety attack, a panic attack. But that was sort of my wake up call to say, Hey, I think I need help. And the, the therapist I saw was like, I, I really don't think you have a problem with depression, I think you have a, an eating disorder. And I was kind of like, oh, um, what's that? You know, I'd, I'd never really, it hadn't been on my radar. So that was my kind of foray of getting, getting help. And I think what's so tender about weight issues is that not many people really have the courage to to ask someone, hey, are you struggling with food? Because to comment on someone's weight is 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 so loaded these days. And so to to say, hey, are you okay? You know, are you okay with how you're eating or what you're eating or your body? It's such a loaded question. And so I think people most likely, when I was struggling in high school and early college, just didn't want to ask, didn't didn't have the courage to ask me face to face in fear of, well, maybe she's not, maybe she's something else going on and I shouldn't know about it or something like that. Real quick, I want to interrupt this with a little message. Creation to me is really important. And it's so important that I realize that we kind of create our own world. We are responsible for our attitude. That's the reason you have the reality or the life you are living right now. If your life kind of sucks, you had something to do with it. It's hard to swallow, but it's true. The important news, though, is you can change your life, change your way of seeing the world at any moment. You can make new choices, different choices, better choices at any time to improve your life. 
every episode of Scratch Your Own Itch will not only make you feel less alone, but give you the insight as how to really change. But I do want to say this one thing. Ideas are abundant. I have hundreds of ideas, dreams, and things I want to achieve. And so does everybody else. The baker down the street, the postman. But why do so many people never realize their ideas and actually bring them out into the field? They end up just laying in the grave and dying. I think it's because execution is scarce. We have a groundbreaking new idea, and it's easy to lose focus on what's really important. Because there's all this distraction and noise to compete in an ever-changing world, more is needed than just a grand idea. Execution is needed, and without it, your idea is nothing. And what do I mean by execution? Execution is the ability to actually scratch that itch that you have, that itch of an idea. That means to do instead of talk, to get valuable stuff out there and useful to people. That means not waiting for the ideal moment and creating momentum through action. So, if you want real results, head over to LoganTylerNelson.com and sign up for my easy three steps to start actually making a system for you to see tangible results. So, don't wait. And without further ado, enjoy my interview. Wow, yeah. I think what the the big thing that I want to point out is when you're inside of it, it's like that person that's looking at a picture, right? And they're looking at the picture and they're looking at just themselves. They're looking at like, how do I look in this picture? And only until they step away from it and they view the picture in full, then they can see that it's still beautiful. You know, it's still yeah. a beautiful picture. And I think when you have this constant pressure on yourself that you think like, for example, like depression was the problem. When there's such an underlying thing under that, it comes down to not just depression, but what's your, what's your self self acceptances. And I think that's kind of where we're going with this is sort of being okay with yourself nowadays, no matter if you have a six pack or if you do have a six pack. And what what you're using during your day to actually get to that six pack, get to that like overall goal of what you want to feel and look like. But for me, I think our currency runs off of feelings. If we didn't uh, have another six pack person in the entire world, um, but we felt good getting it, like you felt good after a nice workout or you felt good after not eating too much, you would probably keep doing it. So how did you train yourself to start just feeling good about things and, 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 and having that mindset like you were talking about earlier, which all comes down to mindset, how did you train your mind to start feeling good with food again and being around people when they were eating and maybe you're eating when you weren't hungry or, or really 
taking in signals for hunger. Yeah, kind of debunked that for us. Yeah, it it honestly was really a journey. And I know with so many, I don't want to say addictions, but habits or or issues that run so deeply within us, it is absolutely a process. And I think I fought that for so long to be like, I want to be finished. I want to be done. Like, where's my end point? I think <laughs> what helped me along my journey was making myself the priority. And what I mean by that is if I had, you know, I, learning how to trust myself around food was a huge thing for me. And it took me a long time to really trust myself and learn how I could hear my body, what it was saying and honor that. And in the beginning, it was my eating schedule may have looked very different than someone else's. I was eating every three to four hours, smaller meals. So I wasn't really doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I was doing more kind of mini meals throughout the day. And so putting myself first, if my family was eating dinner at seven and my mini meals fell at like five and eight or five and nine or whatever it was, I had to speak up and sort of say, Hey, I ate at five. So I will sit with you and chat, but I'm not going to eat with you. And that was really hard because I felt so much anxiety around it and so much apprehension to say, Hey, no, thank you to that piece of cake or yes to that piece of cake or, Hey, no, thanks. I'm not going out to dinner with you guys. I already ate tonight or yes, you know, whichever way I was saying it really trying to put my own needs first and from there, I was able to be more flexible. So kind of once I had, because when I first began, I did start an eating schedule because it helped me go from like no eating at all during the day, or maybe very, you know, very, very little to binging and eating thousands of calories per day to having something regular. So when I sort of built that foundation of, okay, my body is getting used to eating often and eating regularly and having smaller meals, from there, I could then dive deeper into the trust of if my family was eating at seven and I my meals were scheduled for five and eight, I could maybe have a light snack and then eat dinner with them, or I could move up my meal and have, you know, have something light with them. So it helped me to sort of like put my own needs first and trust my body to when I was ready, take that next step because it wasn't reasonable for me to go from where I was in the cycle to being like, "Mm, what does my body want? I'm just going to listen and know exactly what she's saying. That was so such a big gap for me that I took those baby steps of, okay, let's start with a schedule. And then let's start with, within that schedule, how can you be a little bit more flexible? And so I kind of expanded from there to help me get to the place where I began to trust what my body was saying. And, you know, there, it's sort of the chicken before the egg. I mean, is, is it the food issues or is it the body issues that really comes first? And, and it, it's really such a, they're so tied together, you know, we're miserable with our bodies. And so we try and control our food to make our body smaller or look a certain way. Um, And so sort of simultaneously working on my own self-acceptance of how do I, how do I look in the mirror and love myself? And what led me down that path was a lot of 
turning inward instead of looking outward. So instead of trying to get a body I liked enough when I would see my reflection, I decided to close my eyes and look inside myself to find a place, that place where I could feel that acceptance. And we all have that. We all have that inside of ourselves. It's just finding that connection again. So for me, like meditation and getting into yoga and reading a lot of inspirational self-help books and journaling and all of those tools to turn you inside of yourself to find the answers instead of looking outward at my reflection to say, oh, now I'm acceptable. And I think we, our society has it backwards because we're never going to get to that place where we look in the mirror and it's acceptable if you're looking from that external place because our bodies are always changing. And I mean, really, it's like, you know, we age, our hormones change, life changes, stress hits us, and we gain 10 pounds. And like, if we're trying to find our acceptance looking in the mirror, that's always changing. So your acceptance always changes. So if you can find that place inside, and for me, it was that journey to find that place inside because I'd never been there before. Well, I had been there, you know, we're all, we all start there when we're little, but I was so far from that place in my own self. And that was sort of like, I just, I just have to, I have to point that out. The, the, it's, oh my God, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, that's okay. Like you, hit, you hit it on the nail. Like it has to come from inside. Like it can't be in the mirror. Your your self acceptance has to be from the inside. It cannot be in the mirror. And I think so many people do that. They, I know I do it. I know that you listening right now, you do it, right? Like you. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. You, for sure. I, I, everyone that that has that sort of like, hey, I. I so I think. One thing you kind of talk about is journaling. And so do you think having like a definition and journaling about what is your personal self-acceptance? And and if you you do recommend that for people, what do you write down yourself? So... So I actually originally began a journal for food. So when I was working with a therapist, she wanted me to journal my food. And then that kind of morphed into writing down my feelings also. So how was I feeling when I was eating? And was I stressed? Was I bored? Was I overwhelmed? And kind of when that chapter ended, I I loved writing so much that I began writing letters to the universe. And and, um, because I felt like I had to write to someone and... I wasn't, you know, I was raised Catholic, but I was like, I don't know if God really exists. So I was like, well, I'm just going to write to the universe, you know, whatever that means, energy, like the big the black hole, our galaxy, but like I had to write to something. So I originally began as like, dear universe, and um, <laughs> kind of like what I was feeling. So it was like writing a letter to a friend I had known for forever and just saying how I felt. Um I would say the key for me is never going back to read my journals. Like I would fill up a journal and then toss it. I don't want to know what I was talking about back then. Um, So, but anything around, like you can use prompts, you know, how am I feeling right now? What's going on? Is there something I'm running from? Is there something I'm not looking at? Because what happens when you journal, it can be so helpful because our minds are always so busy and active and like, it's like a ping pong match. And so when you take that time, pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and pause to just look for a second at what's going on in there, it can bring a lot of clarity. And 
um, what you had said about the mirror, I just, I want to, I want to share a quick story because it, it hit home for me when I was at my smallest size, I fit into like the jeans I had wanted to fit in for so long. And I remember so vividly, it was the day before my birthday. And I think I was like 22 and I looked in the mirror and I would like, this is what I had longed for being the size exactly as I was now. And I remember just staring in the mirror after the shower and, and hating my stomach, like just being like, oh, my stomach is still not perfect and it's still disgusting. And it was just this flash of inspiration and I don't know where it came from, but it was just like the mirror is never the answer. Like I will never get small enough or whatever enough to look at my reflection to be like, yep, check the box. Now you're acceptable. And so that sort of you know, it wasn't a one and done. It wasn't like I had that moment and then forever I loved myself, but it was like that pivotal point of, of a shift in direction for me of saying, okay, well, how else can I feel happy inside? You know, if it's not weight, if it's not getting smaller, if it's not being thinner for me, because that's what, what had pushed me into this cycle, this desire to be smaller in thinking that I'd be more acceptable and more loved and, and good enough. Like what, how else did I feel happy? How else could I find that happiness within me? So, and, and I really think journaling helps point you inside so you can start to open that conversation with yourself. Yeah. I, I want to point out right away that um, earlier you kind of talked about even the, the sort of like you had to write down, you know, when you're going to eat and, and that transformation of eating four meals a day. And then also what I need to point out is that you found freedom in having structure first, it sounds like. So I think if, if someone ever is like, okay, so like, like, let's say writing isn't for you. You're listening to this and you're like, I hate journaling. This is stupid. I don't want to do that. Um, and don't make me do it. Take pictures of your food. Would you recommend someone doing that? Or maybe another way of like even talking on their phone and being like, hey, I ate this today and I felt this. While I was eating it, I know it sounds hard at first, but what's that mini step someone could take in sort of, because uh, it sounds like it was a real answer for you. Yeah, it was, it was super helpful for me. I, I mean, not everyone loves journaling. Some people who I work with, they're like, oh, I hate journaling. Like you can't make me do it. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to make you do anything, you know? So, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say, recording it, doing an audio message to yourself, you know, telling a best friend, texting it to someone. And I really, I mean, I think for me, the biggest, my biggest lesson on this journey was for me, find what works. And that's really what I would tell anyone, like find what works for you. And if journaling doesn't work for you, explore voice messages or typing on your computer. Cause some people actually don't like physically writing, but typing they have no problem with talking to someone, calling someone about it. Um, I was, I was in Overeaters Anonymous for years and they recommended like you get a sponsor and then you call that person with your food. And I didn't actually do that, but I know for some of the women who are in the group with me, it was so helpful for them. So, and the, the freedom in the structure, like I, I love that you brought that up because I think some people come into this, this moment of acceptance. Okay. I have a problem. Like I don't want to diet and binge anymore or, or whatever, wherever they are in the spectrum of dieting and binging, restricting and, and overeating but they think that the next step is like, oh, I'm just going to intuitively eat and listen to my body. 
but it's so far typically from where we start that like some structure in the beginning is and can be really beneficial. So having more of a plan and still maybe planning out your food a little bit because that can help you then move to the next step and the next step and the next step. So for me, it's like if, if something that someone recommends or that you read or some guru says, you're like, oh, I do not want to do that. I mean, honor that absolutely because what works for you may not work for someone else and what, what what's worked for me may not work for you so it's finding something you resonate with that helps you get to that place i would say the caveat is that like um you know sometimes like for meditation for example i i like to meditate every day but i don't always love like i wouldn't say i'm so excited to sit down and meditate every day like i i do it because i know that calming down and breathing and just taking a moment for myself helps me later in the day, but I wouldn't say I'm like crazy excited about it. So it's like some of those things that are really good for us, we might resist initially. So finding that balance of like, you know, okay, this really doesn't resonate with me. I don't like it versus like, ah, I just don't really want to do it kind of thing. Does that make sense? Hey guys, I got to interrupt this real quick to do a call to action as they call it in the podcasting world. I've got this call to action about, had you ever had a story that you felt like you needed to share, a story that you needed to get off your chest, and you have this imposter syndrome in which you think that it's not good enough to share, but let's be honest, any trauma that you've ever gone through needs to be shared. You deserve for your voice to be heard. So if you ever want your voice to be heard, please let me know. I'd love to help you with a podcast. Maybe writing books just isn't your thing. But a podcast? You're a talker. You know how to talk. Well, back to my interview. Tons of sense. Uh, It's so much sense. And I think that's also why your system might work really, 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 really well is because... um, you're in a conversation with not only yourself, but you're in a conversation with people around you. And when you start that conversation, um, now there's at least that sort of ideology and goal in the ethos, whatever you may call it, or the the universe or whatever the way you spoke about it. Because um, I'm not a religious person either. But when you do write to just someone or you have that conversation with someone that you care about. Um, that usually helps a lot in the healing process. It doesn't mean that you have to go to therapy today. If you really do feel like you have a hard problem with it, you might want to. Or uh, you might want to maybe reach out to Jen too and see what she does to get herself on the normal eating society. Um, and I want to kind of point out a little bit because I'm just curious – what is this um this Eaters Anonymous group oh, that the, you joined? So when I was Overeaters Anonymous is a twelve step group. So like Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and I can't remember the other ones. Um, so I yeah. did that, and I would say when I first started therapy, the woman I worked with recommended I go simply to have other to be around other people who struggled with with food because I because when I began, like when I started 
realizing I had a problem getting help. It really, there weren't social media groups and there weren't like Facebook groups you could join. So it felt so isolating. And I think now that's such a gift to us to have, to be able to go online and get virtual support and to find blogs where you can be like, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks that, or I'm not the only one who does that. So it was less common. Well, I'm sure it wasn't less common, but it was less talked about. And so joining Overeaters Anonymous for, I probably dabbled in and out for a couple years. And what they teach is, is sort of like a lot of the 12 step groups, but the big caveat for eating is, is kind of what you said in the beginning, like we have to eat every day. So it's different than giving up alcohol. It's different than being abstinent from drugs because you can't cut out food because obviously we're eating. So it was for me, what I used that group for was the spiritual piece of the of the issue of of learning how to surrender of learning how to let go because i didn't know how to do that and learning some of the emotional pieces of it and how emotions tied so closely into eating and it was a i didn't you know i'm like a total rule breaker and if you give me a rule i'm like no i'm not doing that but i didn't really follow their food plan cuz you're you're supposed to cut out, I think it's dairy or not dairy, wheat, sugar, flour. And I didn't want to cut anything out. I wanted to be able to live with freedom. I didn't, I didn't, I, for me, again, this was what worked for me. For me, I didn't want to cut anything out. I wanted to be able to go to a birthday party, have a piece of cake if I wanted to, you know, go to Christmas dinner and have that pie. Like I didn't want to have restrictions. And so for me, it was the spiritual piece really. And, and the emotional piece too, of talking about it out loud and removing some of the shame, removing some of the embarrassment um, and learning how to heal and not hide from it, not hide from, because I had hid for so long. I had, I hadn't told anyone about this until like, even, even years later, like I remember emailing my high school friends when I was maybe, I don't know, 27 or something and being like, hey, I was dealing with it, like telling them the story, like I was dealing with this problem and I just wanted to tell you and and just kind of come clean about it. And I mean, that was like 10 years after high school. So I didn't want to live and hide from myself. You know, I wanted to try and show up as myself. And that gave me the space to try that out, to to sort of show up as myself without any masks without any pretending and it strengthened my confidence to be able to be me and not have people judge me. I want to point out how amazing it is that you had a 10 year reunion with just coming out from the hiding. And I think that that can apply to uh, so many other problems, not just eating disorders, but also like having extreme anxiety or ADHD or alcohol problems or addictions to anything or addictions to exercise and just like going back and reflecting and reaching out to those friends and saying, hey, this is why I was the way I was. And even if you listen to this and you reply and you go, hey, thank you so much for, I guess, saying this, or you... The thing is, is you're going to feel good no matter what. Just, I think there's, there's true salvation in finding your truth and going, okay, this is the truth that I need to just let out. 
And there's so many people that I think keep it in and hide it. And that's why um, there are people that really hate on the way uh, I guess we act around them is because we're trying to be or be someone that we're not. And it's really hard and it gets exhausting to be someone you're not. I say that time and time again. It's just, it's exhausting. Um, but I want to, I want to kind of really quick just go through um, some, I guess, scratching the surface type questions because what you've said is just, it's so valuable. And I, and I know that if we get into this, I'm not super <laughs> fast with these rapid fire questions like some podcasts. And so, because we have another, I feel like it's a whole another segment of the show. So I just want to start a little bit earlier than usual and see if we can't tackle these. So whenever you're ready, I'm going to try to uh, fire away. Okay. Awesome. Sweet. Um, What book has changed your perspective and why? My first answer, which is like a multiple answer is Janine Roth's books. So she was the first woman to, well, the first author really to tackle the subject of eating being more than just food. So the emotional piece, the mental piece, the spiritual piece. And I would say my favorite book by her is Women, Food, and God. And I am not religious. And so don't be deterred by the the word God in there. Um, I mean, it's, it's more about sort of a... Um, like surrendering to something beyond yourself. And her books made me feel like I was not crazy. And hearing that someone else had picked food out of the trash or had eaten an entire, the entire leftover platter of brownies on the counter and then totally lied to their family. Like the things that she talked about in her books that I had done that I had so much shame around, like the secrecy of binging. I mean, there's so much shame and there, and there was for me like that, just that feeling of embarrassment. I'm like, how come it's just food? How come I can't just not eat the whole tub of ice cream? Like it's not that hard. So her books, I mean, were my lifeline when I was struggling and healing and recovering. And I, I mean, she has Women, Food and God, Feeding the Hungry Heart. And one of my favorites, when you eat at the refrigerator, pull up a chair. And that's like kind of a really small chapter book. Um, like I, they were highlighted on my nightstand. I would read them every night, passages of them, and really just changed the course of my life because I realized I wasn't the only one. And that gave me the courage to reach out to get help. Ah, oh, thank you so much for saying that. Oh, thank you so much. That's the reason why I read books. That's the reason why I I, uh, I even love podcasts so much is because podcasts are talking about the things that really are like, at least I'm trying to make it with this podcast, the things that we think about a lot and need to talk about more because, heck, who hasn't wanted to just eat the entire freaking bag of Skittles and then go to the next bag of Skittles and then next and then after you go through the Skittles to eat your favorite cereal and then I mean one bowl is just not enough so you got to have two or three or four and then before you know it you ate about 14,000 calories that would be able to that was that was definitely uh, enough to <laughs> to feed a whole entire tribe of people but no one ever talks about it like it is like you said there's so much shame around it and just to have, like sometimes joke about it is so cathartic. Just be like, yeah, that was a pig. 
I don't know what, I don't even know why I went there. And, and it, it happens just to all of us. It's not just you. It's it, no one's perfect. And uh, our goal is to never just be perfect, but be perfectly imperfect. And then to just come out and always tell the truth whenever it does happen to like, tell your family, like, Hey, I stayed up until uh, 4am because I just really wanted to eat. And so I feel better now, but I just need to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's so powerful. And really, I think there's this sort of like label that food food issues aren't as real, in quotes, as more serious things. And And I remember doing a study abroad in college and being in poverty-stricken countries where kids were starving and seeing such poverty. And I would just judge myself so harshly because I was like, how can these people not even have breakfast? And here I am not being able to not eat, not being able to stop myself from finishing the bag, the box or whatever. And so I think those books were what helped make it that it was okay to have this issue. And I think that's so big with when people struggle with food or body image or, you know, whatever, like it's so superficial. It's so dumb. It's just food. It's just whatever. But you know, what you struggle with, what each of us struggles with matters because it's our own struggle and there's no shame and there's no judgment in whatever your own battle is. And, you know, because we all are battling something. So I think food has this sort of like label that, Oh, it's just food. Like just don't eat. You know, I remember my dad, when I was struggling and uh, he was like, you know, just, just don't eat, cut out carbs or, you know, trying to be helpful. And I was like, dad, that's not helpful. You know, I can't just do that. And um, like, it sounds so simple, just do this. But when you're struggling and battling it, like seriously battling it, it, that's okay. I mean, there, the, each of us has our own issues and, and really Janine Roth's books, that was a, a big point of healing for me to realize that, okay, yeah, it might be just food, but it's okay. I can still struggle with it and I can still talk about it without shame, without embarrassment. I love it. I love that so much. So, so much. Uh, I could probably have another hour long conversation around that subject alone, but you said it. (laughs) Um, I've got to get to my next rapid fire question. Uh, <laughs> I love this. this. All these podcasters do this, and so I'm trying. I'm trying to do it, but uh, sometimes it's just they're amazing <laughs> questions that I just want to have entire shows around. But the next thing I do want to ask, which I think is a really important question, is: Do you believe in having a worst habit? And if you do, what is it right now? Ooh, I love that one. So of course, everyone has their worst habit. And I would say my worst habit, your worst best habit, maybe would be yeah. a better way to put it. it not, not make you feel so guilty if you do it. So I would say my worst habit is coffee. And um, I, I had a, I struggled with adrenal fatigue a couple years ago and had to cut out coffee while I was healing. And now I'm drinking coffee again, but it was like the hardest six months of my life because I was like, I love coffee. So, and I know people say it's good for you. People say it's not good for you. So um, I am always in that process of like, I'm going to give up coffee and then I never do. And so I've just accepted that, you know, I drink coffee and I love it. And that's what it is. 
I love that. <laughs> I love my coffee. But you know what? What's amazing is I have to point out for everyone. Uh, mostly, I'm just talking to you. So I hate like like I'm this like a preacher that's talking to millions. I hate that sort of feeling. But honestly, to just say to you like that is so cool that you stepped away from something, gave yourself a sort of cleanse. That's why I think intermittent fasting is such a great idea for anybody. Um, and do it under like certain, uh, do it under a certain prescription with people. Do it, do it with friend. Don't just do it by yourself. But to take yourself away from something, then to reintroduce it back into your life can give you that same sensitivity that you used to have. Because I mean, let's face it: when you have four cups of coffee, where do you go from there? Like twelve, fourteen, twenty? <laughs> You're just not going to get that caffeine high anymore. So. Um, that's really cool. I really want to ask you this next question because my mind, it works in these sort of like mantras. Like I have to have like phases during my day where I'm like, okay, I'm going to live my life by this quote. So with that, what quote are you certainly living by right now? I would say fear, discomfort, and uncertainty are your compasses towards growth. And I, honestly, I can't remember who said it, but it's my absolute favorite quote of all time because whenever I feel fear, which is often, whenever I feel discomfort, which is also often, and the uncertainty of life, of business, of relationships, I remind myself that these are what help me grow. And it, it, I find comfort in knowing that as I work through something that I feel really uncomfortable or that pushes me out of my little box of comfort zone, or I feel fear around something. And I know it's a good fear, you know, not like a, you know, a dangerous kind of fear, but um, I know these are the types of situations that propel me towards the, the greater me, you know, me being my best self in the world. So reminding myself that if I feel a twinge of fear or I'm uncertain and I'm getting a little bit anxious about, well, how is that going to turn out? That that means I'm doing something new and that means I'm growing and that means I'm evolving and that takes courage. So to be, to really be grateful for that and to honor that within myself and to allow for it, because, you know, if we all stay in our little boxes of life, I mean, we never break out of it and, and grow to our fullest selves. That was a lot of gold right there. That's a knowledge bomb. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next question I'd love to ask is, if you could change one thing about the well, health and wellness industry, what would it be? Oh my gosh, I'd get rid of all diets. <laughs> I would say I would get rid of all diets or I would somehow magically have well well proportioned or average an average array of sizes in all media magazines print television and i know that's i think we've made great great strides in that area but so women don't feel like they look at social media they go online and all they see are this you know stick thin white woman. I was, I'm getting married next summer and I was looking at these bridal magazines and literally every woman was probably a size two or, or smaller, very 
flat and thin and a lot of blondes, mostly white. And I'm like, this, this isn't the world. And so to get rid of, or to change how women view themselves by what we're seeing, I think would be, so, and men too. So I didn't mean to just in, nah, not, not include you. Um, but for, to help us really see how there, you know, like real life isn't the magazine. Real life isn't just this blogger on social media who eats kale smoothies all day, like really having an accurate representation of, of, of sizes of people. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. Uh, No, I just, I just have to like comment how strong that is. It's just, it's really hard for people to, it's just really hard guys because of social media and as much as you love it, I've, I hate it so much. And so that kind of brings me to the next question is, um, how has technology played a role in your life and your business? So actually my business is an online business. So technology has been huge for me to reach more people and, you know, women all over the world who, I think my favorite part is that someone who is desperately struggling or who just binged or who's freaking out about their body can Google something and they can find my blog or find another article and get relief in that moment. Like that is so magical to be able to feel alone, desperate, like a failure, you know, on the edge of some, some breakdown and to be able to find an article, a blog, something that's like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Someone else has done this, has felt this, has gone through this. So I think technology has impacted the world and my business and me in a tremendous way. I think that flip side that you're talking about is the comparison that we all now have of, we see all these snapshots of people's lives and we we then compare our messy all over the place lives with these moments that people are having, these highs that people are having. And it creates a sort of expectation of like, oh, well, everyone else is smiling and having fun and you know, looking great. And I must be the one that's not, what's wrong with me? So I think that flip side of the expansion of technology really does impact our psyche because I mean, even me, I know, like I, I teach this, I know it inside and out and I still go on social media and I'm like, oh, she looks really thin or, oh, you know, she looks like she's the best life ever. And I don't know, you know, it's just my own projection. So I have to like, you know, I like to do social media fasts and be offline for a bit to kind of find my own center and ground myself because I think it can be really it can be amazing if we use it in the right ways. It, it can also be very um, disconnecting if we let it. Yeah, I so agree with that. It's, it's, um, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. It's kind of like uh, having a wife or a husband. You can't live with them and you can't live without them. Um, it's, 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 I don't mean to like make fun of that and, but I have to, it's so social media is the same way as you can't live with it and you can't live without it. And people that do live without it, like, it's not like, uh, they're, they're just really like, I don't know if you listen to Cal Newport at all, but he has a, a book called deep work and he's not on social media at all. But if you want your life to like, 
have a little bit of, of uh, unplanned uh, excitement and sort of like, you know, you, you want to learn from other people and what they're doing with their life. It is kind of nice to have a social media account and see what they're doing. But um, compare leads to despair. And that's what I always tell myself. Even when I'm doing it, uh, like when I'm scanning through, I just have to constantly. It's a practice. It's a practice to just be like, oh, yeah, this is what it looks like when it's at the very best. We're just catching a glimpse of the exceptional. We're not seeing everything. And that's what I just have to remind myself while looking through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this right now and you found any of of uh, this golden, uh, awesome conversation that I'm having with Jen, go on Facebook it, go and take a quote, put it on Instagram, put it on Twitter. Just because it's out there now in the ethos, that's a way to get better and heal your heal your pain with any struggles that you may be going through. Um, and I'm, and I don't use this as like a marketing tactic. I promise. I'm just using this as a, as a way for you to really honestly become better and find salvation through your suffering. So, um, but I want to move on to the next question, which is what is your personal definition of having success with your body? To me, success with body is authenticity and acceptance. So I think when we feel authentic and we're showing up in the world as our real self without our masks, without pretending, it helps us feel and find deeper acceptance in our bodies. And I know it sounds sort of like, well, how does being authentic, you know, help us accept ourselves, our bodies? But I, I think it's so when we're constantly hiding and shaming ourselves and you know, kind of tucking ourselves away, how would we ever feel at ease at home and enough in our bodies? But when we can like shine our light and be in this world and show up as like, this is me, you know, for better or worse, here I am. I think it, it allows us to sort of be at home in our body and being at home is such a big step towards self-acceptance. I mean, it really is self-acceptance. And I think that would be true success to me. It's It would never be like a size or a shape. It would be, can you show up in this world and be you and find that true acceptance within your own self? Yes. I... You know, I started making this new coined phrase. I call it intermittent contentment, where just because you're at a place where you have like, you're happy, you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, okay, I feel good about this. Having like intermittent contentment is sort of like intermittent fasting, where instead of it being fasting, you're having times when you know you need to change and you need to work hard. And and uh, work on your struggles, but then you have times where you're just co- you're content. You're you're at a maintenance level where you're just like happy with not having the six pack because the trade off is to eat with friends and have good moments and share memories and and share stories with them. So I think uh, it, it, life is tough, and you just have to make that sort of like that's why I love that you journal is is write down those few philosophies uh, that I think really will just make you become you more. Um, so I don't know if that all, at all resonates with you. I love that you said 
the sharing the moments and going out with friends and like it reminded me of like what's the trade-off you know what are we are we sitting in our house and only eating you know never going out with friends isolating ourselves because we want to find this certain body type and for me I did that I mean I totally did that but reminding ourselves of when we relax a little bit like you can relax your rules or your things that you have in your head and but the trade-off is that like you get to share the moments and be in the conversation and be out in the world and yeah I love that so much because I think it's a really good reminder yeah no totally I, I'm not gonna say like I didn't do it myself because honestly I haven't gone out with friends and done things with them because of that exact reason, just wanting to be uh, totally fixated on this goal that I had of working out and getting a nice body and also having uh, my certain meals that I wanted to eat when I wanted to eat. Um, It's tough. It's a hard trade-off. So you just got to take a mini step and uh, write it down, write down your program of what you want to eat like, and then have freedom in that. that structure like you were talking about earlier. I just want to ask you two more questions and then uh, we'll leave you be, Jen, because I know you have a life outside of this. And uh, so so do I and so do our listeners. And um, so the last two questions is, um, what is an itch that you're excited to scratch? Like, what is something you're excited about? So my book I'm writing, <laughs> I'm saying that like really tentatively, so I am a total doer, like I go after my goals, I love taking action, and this book has been my biggest lesson in slow and steady wins the race because I've been writing it for like three years, and these last few months have been sort of pushing me outside my comfort zone to really, I'm in now the editing phase, and I'm super excited to put it out in this world because it's been a dream of mine. And I love that it's taught me so much in the writing of it because I just, you know, that whole mentality, like, get it done. I want to be finished. I want to like getting to the end and really realizing that every single thing we do is a process. And if you can enjoy the process, you'll have a wonderful ending. Just reminding myself that over and over during the process of writing a book because it's been super challenging, ups and downs, but it really has you know, that, like that quote I just said, the, the fear, I mean, it's totally pushed me outside my comfort zone. So I'm really excited about releasing that to the world. That is so cool. That is so cool. I, I think the main thing I want to point out is the process. You got to love the process if you're going to do anything big like that. And it doesn't happen in one day. Like you said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Not a, not, not something that you have to get done tomorrow. And it's really hard to do that. I think it's really hard to accept that for a lot of people because all we do is we consume stuff where all they're saying inside of that is take action now and do this and get it done tomorrow. And it's like, there are some things though that take a long time. And I think even even while you're writing your book, maybe you can make someone feel less alone about this, uh, sharing a failure while writing the book. Like maybe uh, you took time off or something like that. Yeah. So I took a lot of time off, which I considered a failure, (laughs) but um, I started writing. I actually went away. I stayed in a cabin in the mountains. I live in Colorado to finish my book. And this was probably a year and a half ago. And then I did a ton of work, got super inspired 
And then I literally, it just sat there for probably six or eight months. And it was, it honestly was fear, the fear of what will people think, you know, is this too vulnerable? Will anyone even care? Who am I to write a book? I mean, all of that, all of those thoughts of just based around fear just caused me to shelve it. And um, I came across this writer, this writing coach who was, who was amazing. And she kind of reignited the spark and just allowed it kind of what your podcast is doing. Like she allowed me to realize that these fears were normal, that everyone goes through, through this process while writing a book and all of the things I was thinking were absolutely blocks to get over. And she could help me. Like it was understanding like, Oh, this is a normal process that people go through and think these things when they're writing a book. And so feeling like I wasn't alone and that kind of reignited the passion and interest in writing again. So yeah, on and off. Um, I, I took a lot of time off in the last couple of years for, in the writing process, but again, it was, it really was a process and um, you know, it's like, it's, it has its own timeline, I guess that it needs to be written in. Yeah. No, sometimes uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell. He is a great quote that goes like this sometimes we have to let go of the things we planned to live the life that we were meant to live and so you know it's like whenever you got these goals and stuff inside of your head uh know that it's just going to be an internal battle sometimes i i know that i i i'm my own worst enemy when it comes to that i'm like dude i want to really start a side hustle business where i make these kindle publishing books and then i beat myself down for not doing it right away and then you know, but there's other opportunities that are knocking at my doorstep where I have to just kind of honor those. So um, as much value as there is in saying yes to things, there's also huge value in saying no to other things. Uh, but last but not least, Jen, I would love, I would love, love, love to have a moment where I think my personal definition of getting rid of anxiety or depression or uh, eating binges or anything like that comes with curiosity and scratching my own itch. What is something that you're currently curious about? How are you scratching your own itch? I love that you said that because I, I mean, I totally resonate with that and I'm a big advocate of being curious instead of critical. And my latest curious endeavor is gardening. So um, although it's not quite the season yet, but I'm really looking into just how to plant, how to how to grow your own food. And I didn't know there was this whole world of soil and timing and, you know, all the things that you can do to have success and, and grow your own food. And the Colorado climate's a little uh, different than where I grew up. I grew up on the East Coast, but uh, so it's really dry out here. So I'm, and I actually met someone last night who is a guard, who does gardening for people who don't know how to garden. So I was like, oh, this is it. I'm going to have my own garden this spring. And so just getting really excited to grow my own food and learn more about like nature and getting back to the earth. And I find it really fascinating that we, you know, it starts in a little seed. It's such a metaphor for our own journeys. Like we start in this little seed and then it just kind of unfolds and blossoms in its own time and we can't force it. We can't rush it. And it has its own exact blueprint of what it will become. So I think it's really interesting. And, and I plan to do a lot of research and buy some books and, and 
before leading up to this to spring where I can grow my own food for the first time. That is so cool. That is so, so cool. I love that you're doing that. Um, and I really want people, because you're a superwoman to me, I really love if people could reach you at some place. Where can they find you? Yeah, so I, I do a lot of blogging at jenhan.com. That's my website, J-E-N-N-H-A-N-D. And, and there's tons of articles and blogs and videos and a million other resources to help you if you're struggling with dieting or binging or body image or feeling like you're alone in this journey there are i mean you know check it out because there's there's i think the biggest thing especially when we struggle with food or binging is that we feel alone and so i think it's so important to have somewhere that you can turn to to know that you're not alone so yeah definitely check out blogs and all the free free resources that are on there Thank you so much for being on Scratch Your Own Itch, Jen. Guys, get after her. She's amazing. She's awesome. I, if you didn't love her energy, then um, I'm sadly disappointed because then you don't know what a good person is when they hit you in the face. So just know that. I'm letting you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just, just totally joking with you. You're amazing. You're perfect. You matter and you're enough. Um, whoever that is that is listening right now. Uh, but know that Jen's a rock star and she's got a great future ahead of herself. And uh, yeah, check out her website. And even in the future, check out that future book that she's got working in the the can, the, the nice uh, turning pot. <laughs> so uh, awesome. But I'll uh, let go of you, Jen, even though, if I don't want, even though I don't want to. Uh, but you have an amazing, amazing day. Thanks, Logan. Thank you. All right, there's another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch with Jen Hand and myself. Wow, that was an episode. That was great. I learned a ton from her. I'm so excited about what she's doing with her business and what she's done with her business already. And also just... This whole conversation around eating, um, I think a lot of us have a problem with it. I mean, it's not an addiction problem like alcohol or drugs, but it's still an addiction. We eat every single day, and we have to think about it every single day, and so many people out there struggle with this. So if you found any of this resonated with you, that, that you felt a little bit less alone, then please reach out to me. And if you could t- take the time to, to just leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Anything below uh, would really help the show. And if it's my favorite review, I'd love to read it for the show. And also, if you're having trouble with maybe getting your story out there because you just feel like it's not good enough, I would love to have that conversation with you. So please reach out to me, and I'd uh, love to help you. So without further ado, you matter, and you're enough.